Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Wimbledon are winning. Phillips got top billing. And the Canaries, they're almost singing. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time in association with Paddy Power. Hello there. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, here with my friend and colleague, George Ellick, to talk through the latest in the Football League. George, what have we got on the docket today? Sorry, mate, just logging out of the Dulux account. <laughs> that is done. Yeah, sorry. So this uh, on this episode, of course, we're going to be starting with our Tuffle Setmas, our Ooh, teams yes. and players of the week from the midweek action. Not a full docket, but there will be in the weekend. And we're looking ahead to the weekend's games, picking our favourite game, the biggest game from the Championship, League One and League Two. And here on the Totally Football League show Extra Time, we've had an incredible array of guests over the last couple of months. And we have man of the moment at Plough Lane, Mark Robinson, joining us to talk about the resurgent AFC Wimbledon as they bid for yet another remarkable survival in League One. Now let's get to the results of the week and our awards for team and player per division. These are the midweek awards, the Tuffle Settlers. Yes, George, let's start in the championship, sticking with tradition, sticking with what's right. <laughs> there were only three games, but as we always bang on about, every game in midweek matters just as much as a Saturday game, even if they get less attention. And at this stage of the season, of course, the results are always going to be extra significant, including the result that saw us anoint an obvious team of the week in the championship. It's Rotherham. Rotherham have to be the team of the week. I think you were a bit upset because Freddie Ladapo is going to be your player of the week, but I nipped in there first and grabbed <laughs> Paul Warren's men because they all deserve the credit. And, you know, Ali and I, we, we are by no means experienced broadcasters. We're learning our trade and, and a couple of people behind the scenes at Totally have, have banned us from using certain phrases that we maybe use a little bit too often. And, and one of them is that the football is coming thick and fast. <laughs> and we've tried to take note of that because this season it's always coming thick and fast. But with Rotherham, it's never been truer. I don't know how else I meant to say it because at the time of recording, you know, we're talking about a game that only happened. 36 odd hours ago, um, recording this on Thursday. But by the time this goes out, it'll just be a couple of hours before Rotherham take on Coventry for a relegation 15-pointer uh, at the bottom <laughs> of the championship. So this comes with the caveat of how quickly is this going to date in terms of Rotherham's survival chances. If you're listening to this on Friday morning, it could be a very, very you know, a much rosier picture for them. It could be a much worse picture for them if they do get beaten by Coventry. But going into this game against QPR on Tuesday night, there were six points off safety with at least two games in hand on their rivals, three games in hand on some of them. A massive game now because Rotherham have all these games to catch up on. We've often spoken about how they're in a false position because if you take their points per game, they're not in the bottom three, but that's where they stand at the moment and the onus is on them to make the most of these fixtures that they've got in, in order to catch up with everybody else. And it didn't start very well at home against QPR. Um, the away side under Mark Warburton are in very, very good form. They seem to be a team who I think are relishing playing without anything really to play for. You know, they're a young side who seem to be playing with a freedom that maybe they wouldn't be experiencing if they were fighting off the drop. And it was Johansson in goal for Rotherham, who's been a key player for them over the last couple of months. And I have a feeling we'll have have to have uh, a pretty big part to play if they are going to stay up this season. We made a couple of really good saves in the first half, but it, they did go behind. Having gone in at halftime nil-nil, they went behind to a Lyndon Dykes goal that you would associate more often with his suspended strike partner, Charlie Austin, a brilliant right right. Oh, I thought you were going to say Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That's what's brought <laughs> yeah. to mind. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> a, a brilliant right-footed finish into the top right-hand corner. And, you know, with 25 minutes to go, Rotherham was staring down a defeat that would have put them into a pretty difficult circumstance, would have made the game tonight against Coventry basically win or bust. Um, but as they often do under Paul Warren, you know, we talk about their character uh, a lot. We spoke to Matt Crooks a few weeks ago on this show and he spoke about the character 
a lot's been said about um, Paul Warren and the emotive way in which he tries to unify his players and coaching staff and the way that they bounced back and the way that they blitzed QPR over a 25-minute period suggested this is going to be a side who are going to be very, very hard to relegate. Uh, Ladapo scored twice in three minutes in the 64th and the 66th. The first, a brilliant touch and swivel and volley, well, kind of half volley with his left foot into the bottom right-hand corner. The second, springing on, on QPR's high line, running in behind and a really calm finish. And then Michael Smith rounding it off with a, uh, a counter-attack. One of those classic kind of injury time goals where QPR are pouring forward, the ball breaks to him inside his own half and he manages to run the length of the pitch. <laughs> and you could hear Paul Warren shouting, go on, Smithy, go on, Smithy, as he runs half the length of the pitch and slots it in as well. And I think going into tonight's game against Coventry, yeah, I know who uh, who I'd fancy to um, to come out on top there, given Rotherham's quality, given their fighting belief and their uh, efficiency at home compared to Coventry's away from home. A massive win for them. And I fancy them now to stay up. I just loved, I loved everything about that Michael Smith goal that you've explained. But watching the highlights back and, and seeing him run off with one hand in the air, you couldn't help but mm. think of Alan Shearer. And it's one of those nice <laughs> moments watching highlights where you open a new tab, you search Michael Smith, Rotherham, and you see he was born in Wool's End. Where's Wool's End? Newcastle. No- North Tyneside. There you go. <laughs> so you can understand uh, that he grew up idolising Alan Shearer and still replicates that famous celebration. Um, worthy winners of, of the Tuffle Setmer in the championship. And as you mentioned, Ladapo would certainly have been player of the week, I think, for his contribution in, in turning that game around. But instead, it's Philip Billing, Phil Bill, as they call him in Bournemouth. <laughs> Man of the match in their win against Huddersfield, our player of the week. And um, I was thinking about Billing and I think Phil Bill Vol 2 is probably more appropriate than just Phil Bill because he started eight games of the last 14 and in that time he's got six goals and three assists and Billing's never scored more than two in a whole season before and thinking about it, you know, this is a player that we know pretty well. He came through, he was playing a lot of football at a very young age with Huddersfield. We lost him to the Premier League for a few years with Bournemouth. And I've never probably really been able to nail down exactly what he is, exactly what he excels at in a midfield role. And that's OK. You know, all-rounders absolutely have a function uh, in, a, in a team. But I think that's what he was, a, a box-to-box type, maybe you'd say, but not a destroyer. You know, despite his size, you wouldn't say he was known for winning a lot of uh, a lot of defensive duels in midfield. Not much of a goal threat, as I mentioned, n- never more than two goals in a whole season. And not hugely creative either. Probably not the sort of player who you could see picking the lock, you know, threading the needle and all those other creative footballing expressions. Maybe it turned out that all along, he's just like the Danish Frank Lampard, just waiting to be given a chance to thrive in that role. And and that's what Jonathan Woodgate has done, licensed to Phil Bill, and he's absolutely thriving. Uh, early on Tuesday night against Huddersfield, he picked up a loose ball in midfield, Huddersfield on the back foot, played it out to Dan Juma. And if there's one thing we know from recent Bournemouth games is that when Dan Juma receives the ball, on the left side of the pitch with one defender to take on, you know that he's either going to get a shot off almost at will, whichever shot he wants, right foot or left foot, or he's going to, to set up a teammate. In this instance, he kind of did both in that he ran forward, beat his defender, put in a, a powerful shot, which was parried out into the middle of the box. And there was Billing, who had galloped forward and headed home. A lovely diving header, really impressive finish. Another one. And that's what he's done so much in the last few weeks. And what I like is that... He's scoring goals, George, that we would we would always describe as ghosting into the box, right? But this guy's six foot four. He's got unmissable hair. Like this ain't no ghost. <laughs> Philip Billing is ne- he's never ghosted anywhere in his life. But what he is doing is is timing his runs and finishing very very impressively. So he's our player of the week. It's five wins in a row for Bournemouth. You know, someone needs to play the timing their run klaxon. <laughs> Uh, because I think with each win, uh, more more and more people think that Bournemouth will be the team to beat, the favourites for the playoffs, and Billing very much at the forefront of that. And just shout out to Jay Fulton as well, probably third on the podium. He was excellent in, in po- an important Swansea win, their second straight win after that poor run of four defeats. Uh, they beat Sheffield Wednesday and, and Fulton, who's a bit of an underrated player, I think. Uh, he was excellent in that game. Down to League One, bit more meat on the bones here. We had a few more fixtures and yes, some interesting results, George. Uh, who picked up the, the best result? Who are we calling our team of the week? 
Wigan Athletic no longer in the drop zone in League One, having wow. beaten promotion chasing Sunderland. Getting that now, totally Football League show extra time bounce after our interview with Dr. Tom yeah, last week. Exactly. Bit and of a stretch. Bit of a stretch. Bit of a stretch, but we'll take it. You know, we'll, we'll try and make that a thing so we can attract <laughs> um, quality guests. Maybe next season we'll get all the best managers in the championship purely looking for that bounce. Um you know, there's, it's not long ago, and you know, it's probably the most boring thing you can say about this game. But it's not long ago that this would have been a Premier League game. For it to not be a League One promotion rival game is is a massive shame. And I have a feeling, on the back of this result, there's a very good chance the next season it could be because this not only was a hammer blow for Sunderland's automatic promotion chances, but it was also a huge result for Wigan. You know, they went behind uh, to, unsurprisingly, a Charlie White goal from an Aidan McGeady assist. The only surprising thing about it was that Charlie White actually kicked the ball with his foot into the back of the net rather than heading it with his head. Um, so that took me by by massive surprise when I was watching the game back. Um, but it was two goals from set pieces from, for Wigan that, that undid Lee Johnson's uh, Sunderland side. The first was very scrappy from Will Keane. But I, I think the second goal, even though it's... Callum Lang kind of chesting the ball over the line from a yard is so well worked. It's a, a, a you know, the, the board is effectively cleared and Curtis Tilt manages to kind of do a, a, an overhead kick into the path of Joe Dudu, who rather than shooting from a tight angle, has the presence of mind to look up and square the ball. It's two touches from the ball being, you know, behind a centre-back on the edge of the area to being to being laid on a plate for the striker. And the way that Tilt doesn't kind of hoof it up in the air suggests to me that he kind of knows what he's doing. So I'm giving a lot of credit to Tilt, Dudu and Lang for that goal. Um, It lifts them out of the drop zone, back-to-back wins against teams in the top half, scoring six goals as well after scoring, putting four past Doncaster away from home. And crucially this for Wigan is that their fixtures till the end of the season aren't particularly tough. You know, they've got five games left. Four of them are against teams in the bottom half. The other one is against Hull, which should be tricky. You have to feel like Wigan have done the hard part now. You know, that they've beaten these two sides where I'm sure if you asked Liam Richardson if he'd take two points from Donny and Sunderland, he absolutely would have done. They've taken six, scoring six goals. Anybody who, you know, had had Wigan down as, as being the whipping boys of this division. It's a very, very different Wigan side now. And I would go as far as saying Wigan in their current guys are, are at worst a mid-table side. So having spoken to, to Dr. Tom Markham last week, it, it seems clear that even though, you know, the, the new owner is, is, is in this for a long-term plan, I think promote, staying up this season would be massive. I think it'll be very hard for them to dispense of the services of Liam Richardson if he manages to pull this off. It would be incredibly harsh. Um, if they do look to replace him, because I think he's done a, a, a marvellous job. And going into the rest of the season now, out of the the, the bottom four, um, you have to give them huge credit for going and beating a Sunderland side. Is this the beginning of a streak for the manager, Lee? Mm. We're going to get onto that later on in the show. League One Player of the Week, easy one, Brennan Johnson of Lincoln City. I mean, I almost feel a bit bad for his teammate Morgan Rogers because... Generally, someone picking up a hat trick of assists would be, a, you know, a bit of a lock for this award. But in Brennan Johnson, the person for whom he assisted three goals, uh, he had someone who wins the award—an eleven-minute hat trick from Johnson. Nobody this season in England's top four leagues has scored a hat trick in a shorter time, and it, it could have been even quicker because the third goal, the penalty, he had to retake. So, I mean, I'm calling it a 10-minute hat-trick because he scored the first penalty, uh, which he bizarrely had to retake. Uh, But in doing so, he showed off the diverse skill set that I think has everyone who's watched him this season so excited. His first goal was similar to one that he scored on the weekend in that come-from-behind draw with Blackpool running in behind, picking up a, a good pass from Rogers and a little dink finish with the left foot as the keeper went to ground. Really well composed finish, so much quality. His second was another left foot finish after combining with Morgan Rogers. In fact, four of his last five goals have come with his left foot and, and all quality finishes as well, by no means a hit and hope. So for someone who's right-footed, that is always going to catch my eye. A two-footed footballer, especially an attacking player coming in from wide positions, it opens up so many more opportunities when the defender doesn't or can't tell for sure which foot to show you onto, if you know what I mean. How can I be so sure that he's right-footed? Well, only a couple of minutes after his second goal, he ran down the right wing, crossed it in. Rogers was being pulled back, won the penalty, and Johnson stepped it up, 
smashed it in right-footed twice um, as the first one had to be retaken, as I said. So an 11-minute hat-trick for Johnson and maybe a little bit fortunate to have been on the pitch because in the 20th minute, he made a, a, a fairly soft foul and he was very angry and he booted the ball away into the stands, picked up a yellow card, which is fair enough. And one minute later, he arrived a little bit late on a friend of the pod, Ethan Laird, took him down and there were a lot of shouts, a lot of screams reverberating around the uh, around the stands. Maybe he was a little lucky to stay on in my eyes. And, and to be fair, after the game, he seemed pretty relieved himself. Yeah, I mean, it all happened so quickly after the first yellow. I just... I was just eager to get back into the game. I just wanted to get about them because that's what we did quite well. And yeah, made a late tackle. Yeah, my heart did go a little bit. You must have been so relieved when he called the captain over to have a word rather than anything else. Yeah, definitely. I thought he was going to his pocket. So yeah, when he called Jack over, I was buzzing. Regardless, I'm glad he stayed on because such a treat to, to see him thriving and so exciting for Nottingham Forest fans, of course, which is his parent club. I think not only could this loan have gone better for him to prove that he's able to step up and contribute to their first team next season, but it's also allowed more minutes for young Alex Mighton, who's another exciting attacking player for Forest. And, you know, if I was a Forest fan, I can only imagine how excited I would be to have those two ahead of next season and, and so much hope that Chris Hutton could fit them both into the first team to, to a certain extent. But a huge night for Lincoln and their fans as well, because Sunderland, Blackpool, Portsmouth all dropped points and Lincoln's poor run looks like it, it could be behind them now. And if they can hold on to their playoff place, the quality of Johnson and Rogers and the returning George Grant as well, that would make them a very, very tricky prospect. George, League Two, Team of the Week, a team for whom this time last week there would have been a lot of head scratching, a lot of hand wringing, but things looking a little rosier now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for Walsall, who beat Tranmere 1-0. A back-to-back victories now for Walsall caretaker boss Brian Dutton in what has been very quietly quite an impressive run of games. Ali, did you know that Walsall are now unbeaten in six, conceding just two goals, so four clean sheets in those six games? No, did you know that? I, I didn't not, know that. Nor did I. I had them wow. down as being strugglers. And the reason for that is because four of those games and the first four were all low-scoring duels. But... I think, uh, you know, having been pretty concerned for Walsall's safety in terms of the League Two uh, relegation battle, I think we can now say that Walsall are going to be safe. And it's been a big week for Walsall as well. They appointed Jamie Fullerton as their new technical director. People may remember him as a player around various EFL clubs. He had also had a very brief stint as manager of Notts County uh, and has since managed Halifax too, which doesn't look like a kind of glowing CV for a technical director job, but he's got some interesting academy experience as well. He set up his own academy in Spain, which is supposedly very successful. And he was also at Palace as their head of emerging talent. So it feels like a, a, a significant week for Walsall, both in terms of beating Forest Green and Tranmere, and also looking ahead for future planning as well. And, and Dutton came out in the press, as I think any caretaker would, speaking glowingly uh, and very excitedly about the prospect of working with Fullerton, as I'm assuming it'll be Fullerton who decides if Dutton will still be there in the hot seat next season. The key moment here, though, in the game came from an absolute moment of magic from Emmanuel Osadebi getting the ball on the left-hand side, jinking inside onto his right foot twice and hitting a wonderful strike into the top right-hand corner. It's just his second goal for Walsall this season. And he looked, you know, last season at Macclesfield, looked like such a good player, looked like a player who would thrive in a better environment. I think he was one of those who we expected would move on from Macclesfield and and go on to, to kind of better and bigger things. Um, but he's struggled for form this, so far this season. Dutton's been very, very positive about him in the press, talking about him as an incredibly exciting prospect who can do whatever he wants in the game. And that is, I guess, the key for Walsall here. Not only are they um, has this result and this performance against a side who are uh, you know battling for promotion, um, a task that was made a bit easier after Jay Spearing's uh, sending off just after the goal um, for a very very rash um, second tackle. The player um, that he fouled almost like basically did a flip before hitting yeah, the ground. It was exactly. one of those. Um, but this has been a big pu- absolutely pu- speared <laughs> purely because it, it feels like after Daryl Clark's departure from the club, things were very very negative there. And it almost feels to me like things have been very, very negative at Walsall for a long time. Um, it's hard to think of a time with real with real positivity, but they've got a caretaker who is effusive with praise for various people in the press. You've got a new technical director who's hopefully going to make sure that the right decisions are made, bringing through local lads, bringing through academy players into the first team and um, winning games and not being beaten 
things are looking better at Walsall. An, inter- an interesting side going into next season and, and the performance of the week for me in midweek. And the player of the week goes to Morecambe's John O'Sullivan, who was excellent in their 4-1 win against Scunthorpe. Two assists in the first half, which, a bit like what I said about Brennan Johnson, showed the, the skill that, that O'Sullivan has. And it's not just technical skill. Both times it was his pressing that forced Scunthorpe into mistakes, turning the ball over. And both times it was O'Sullivan who then picked up the mantle, carried the ball into space and set up goals. The first one was a really nice 1-2 with Cole Stockton. In fact, it was a it was O'Sullivan to, to Stockton, back to O'Sullivan, back to Stockton. So I don't know if that's called a... One two squared or a one two three four. I, we need to we need to talk about this off air, but uh, we need a name for that. It was it was a brilliant brilliant goal. Stockton with an excellent finish. Uh, but then the second goal was was exactly the same. O'Sullivan winning the ball, playing a brilliant through ball to our great favourite Carlos Mendes Gomez to finish. And Morecambe just turned defence into attack so quickly. They're they're a side that press high, but they move the ball forward really quickly and Scunthorpe couldn't handle it at all. O'Sullivan very much at the heart of it. Uh, He also took the corner that led to the third goal, Sam Lavelle's header. He's been given as an own goal, quite bizarrely. I I don't know who the gods of goals versus own goals are, but sometimes (laughs) I feel like no one wants the own goal and normally there's someone who'd like to be given credit for a goal. So just... Just give it to Lavelle. And if we do give it to Lavelle, the dubious goals panel, self-appointed, then O'Sullivan has a hat-trick of assists, just like Morgan Rogers. So let's give him three. He's quite a classic Morecambe success story, I'd say, O'Sullivan, in that he's an attacking player who started his career having come over from Ireland with Blackburn, who's never lacked technical quality, ability, potential, but, but maybe he's just had some bad luck. Not not the ideal pathway, made a bad move or two and just needed someone to believe in him and let him play football matches. He's never played as much football consistently as he is over the last 18 months for Morecambe. And guess what? Unsurprisingly, he's playing the best stuff of his career. So it, it's a good reminder that sometimes players just need an extended chance. Uh, it's another good ri- reminder as well not to react to the departure of, of just one player. Like when Adam Phillips left Morecambe at the very end of the January transfer window, everyone was concerned that... His output was so good in terms of goals and assists that they wouldn't be able to replace him. But O'Sullivan is showing that they've got quality elsewhere and team quality and success is not just about individual quality. They've almost got the same points per game record with Phillips and without him. So it's looking very likely that Morecambe will be playing a few extra games in May, George. I don't think they're going to quite break into the top three, but I don't expect them to drop out of the playoff places either. So looking forward to seeing O'Sullivan, Mendes, Gomez, Stockton and co uh, playing some bonus football uh, in the month of May. Great. Well, that's the Tuffle Setmas out the way, an important, significant midweek in the EFL, but still to come. Well, we're looking to potentially crown our first promoted team of the EFL season. But next up, we're speaking with Wimbledon head coach Mark Robinson. So it's the business end of the season and we need some results quickly. Welcome to the Liverpool Q2 Offside. Let's brainstorm. Hendo. Well, I spoke to HR and they've got spare training and development budget. How about a new training ground? We tried that, it's too windy. Robbo. Uh, how about we reward good performances? Oh, for, no idea is a bad idea. Let's uh, let's take it offline, yeah? Trent. Well, Gareth won't push me. Oh, no. I need results, not excuses. Yes, Liverpool need results, but have they left it too late? Check out the Paddy Power site for the latest top four markets. Paddy Power. 18 plus, become aware. Talk, T's and C's apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Mark, it's a great time to be able to speak to you on the back of beating Accrington 5-1 away from home last weekend and then beating Ipswich 3-0 at Plough Lane on Tuesday night. How important has that that mini run of that those back-to-back wins, the mini run of form, getting out of the relegation zone been for you in this season? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we've been searching for the, for the wins. Uh, you know, I keep saying I believe our performances have been really good and, and there's been other games that that we should have won. But obviously, when the, the wins don't come, especially over the Easter period, when we had the two defeats in games where we were where we were quite dominant, you know, you, you obviously get a little bit concerned. And we had, a, we had a big meeting with the players where we, we talked about you know, the fact that we were performing well and not winning, maybe there was a little bit of an air of complacency. Not not complacency as in, 
But as in thinking, oh, the wins will come because everyone was telling them they're playing well. The opposition managers kept saying, well, you, you're playing well. But it was almost, well, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to make this happen? So we had a big meeting about trying to find an edge, this extra edge to turn these good performances into wins. And, um, you know, fortunately that, that happened against Accrington and then we took it, you know, into Ipswich. So, you know, self-belief is a massive thing. The players haven't lacked belief. They believe in what they're doing. But obviously, you know, winning two games emphatically like that is a, is a massive help to where we want to go in the future. Is it difficult to maintain the kind of the trust with the players and getting, making sure the players trust the process at the business end of the season after a couple of bad results? Or do you, you know, have you felt like given the, the, the performances, that's never really been an issue? It, yeah, to be honest, George, I'm a big believer that you give ownership to the players. So when, when I got the job, the first thing I asked them was, you know, what did they think was wrong? Where did they think we were going wrong? And I talked about football to them, how they would like to play, how they believe we can move this club forward. And then, you know, so when, once they almost come up with a plan themselves, obviously, I, you know, I'm clear in the direction of where I think we need to be going. And um, But once you give them their ownership, it's their plan. So it's very hard to be negative when they've, they've opened up to you in terms of what they think we need to do and, and how we need to do things better. And then, you know, my job was really to to set the values of the club and set the culture and the and, and the working environment that helps build what they believe is going to move us forward. So, you know, no, if I'm honest, there hasn't been any negativity at all. That the mood has been really buoyant continuously um, because they've seen the performances, they're enjoying their football. Obviously, it's about winning. You know, that's that's all that matters at the end of the day. But they totally believe in what they're doing because it's what they want to do. If that makes sense. So that hasn't really been an issue. The biggest issue has been, you know, me trying to think, well, you know, how are we going to turn these these performances into more consistent wins? It's not like we hadn't won games. We had won games, but we realised that we're probably left at least six, seven points out there that we should have won. So it was about, you know, turning that round. And obviously we've done that in the last two games. But again, it means nothing, George. We've got to be relentless in the pursuit of doing what we're doing and, and keep going with back-to-back wins. I'm guessing that even more so than the the victories and the, you know, the the manner of them, um, two really healthy wins as well. What must please you as somebody who's been involved in the academy for a long time is the starring role that some of the academy grads have played. You know, Redoni and Nightingale, the first two players on the score sheet uh, in midweek, Callum Bailly and Asal starting as well. I mean, this must be very, very proud for you, given how well you must know the players. Yeah, and if I'm honest, when I'm picking the side... You know, that's, that's never in my mind. You know, I got asked that question after the Ipswich game because I believe we ended up with six academy products on the pitch. And I honestly didn't, I don't think like that. You know, I'm putting players out there because I think they can add value and they can affect football matches. So, you know, I can't lie. Then when when you get it thrown back at you, like you're doing now, of course, then you, you, you're very proud because obviously... And I've been here 16 years in the academies what I started. So yeah, no, it's, it's great, but it's never in my in my thought process when, when I'm choosing the side. I just look at training, I look at how the players are performing in training, and you base it on who you think can affect football matches. It's always difficult for a new manager coming into a club halfway through the season. Of course, you're already part of the of the, of the backroom staff beforehand, but now, next season, whether you're, you know, hopefully in League One or, or in League Two, um, will be your first campaign, full campaign as a manager at first yeah. team level. What philosophy do you have in terms of, of, of playing style, the, the way that you want the club to be built long term? Firstly, I don't mean it rude. It's a real bugbear of mine when coaches talk about philosophies. That we're, <laughs> not, we're, we're not, we're not philosophers. You know, um, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of playing style, there's there's nothing going on out there now that hasn't been going on since the 1940s. You know, you go back to Hungary. So um, I'm certainly not going to call myself a philosopher. Um, I, I have a way that I believe the team should play. The nearest I come to any kind of philosophy is, is, is based around our culture and our values. You know, I think that's that's where maybe you might talk about philosophy. So I'm very strong on learning environments and cultures and values. Um, but in terms of playing styles, you know, anything that I do has been done by someone else. Uh, and, you know, and I believe that with any coach out there. So, but, you know, we want to be obviously a very high tempo, effective team. So we want to play quickly. We want to be a high pressing team. And hopefully, I think the fans have seen snippets of that in, in, in games. But no, we want to be very much on the front foot, high tempo, playing effective football. 
but I think you know effective football can can vary you know it can look it can look like six seven passes sometimes sometimes it can look like one pass I think when people talk about possession-based football for me possession football is about you pass it to a teammate and that might be one pass over the top it might be three quick combination passes or it might be 20 passes playing out the back so you know I see us having a real mixture on the ball but off the ball I certainly you know I want us to be aggressive high intensity pressing side that, that are very hard to break down. Hopefully next season we'll have fans back. What would it mean to you to, you know, I know that there were a couple of occasions where some fans were allowed back in, but what would it mean to you to to manage FC Wimbledon back at a, a full plough lane next season? Uh, it's, it's incredible, George. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I still don't believe it. You know, it's, you know, when I said I feel I've got the greatest job in football, I mean it to, to be the, the head coach of a fan-owned club with the story that we've got is is just amazing. And, you know, I'm, I've been I've been a football fan myself, a fanatical football fan, so I know what performances can do to fans and that. So, you know, for, for me, football is about the fans and players. That, that That's all that matters is, is the fans and players. And and that attachment between the fans and players is is what makes football fantastic. So, you know, to have the have the fans back is you know we're, we're we're so excited you know to have them back in League One and and try and put in performances for them that excite them and you know build that attachment that that's all it's about at the end of the day George is is creating memories for the fans and players. And on that note, AFC Wimbledon has an incredible relationship with the local community, and you even look at the the appointments of of head coaches over the past as well. A, a real pride in its history as a club as well. Yesterday was the EFL Day of Action, and we've seen videos of you passing on coaching tips to to young kids at, at schools and the like. I mean, how, how important is that link between club and community for you? It's huge, and you know, together with the players, we we come up with a why, you know, a, a purpose, basically why we're together. And, you know, and that was to successfully continue the great story in football. That's our why. And I think that needs to be the why of the club, if I'm honest. No, no matter what department you're in, I think, you know, we, we have got, you know, some people might debate it. But for us, we've got the great story in football. And I think every single department from the community to no matter what it is, I think it's our job to successfully continue that. And, you know, being active in the community, you've probably heard of the Don's Local Action Group who are doing absolutely incredible things. And, you know, the players are very much part of that. They go after training on a Thursday to go and do food deliveries. And it, and it's crucial. I'm a big believer that you have this football bubble and I think it's so important that you take the players out of the football bubble, take myself out, take my staff out of it, because you can have such an impact on people, you know, and, and people's lives. So it's so important that we step out of that bubble. We've all got more than enough time to, to have effect on, on people in the community, a positive effect. So it's going to be a massive thing moving forward and, and part of our identity. Now, Mark, before we let you go, um, just looking ahead to the weekend and a massive game against Swindon Town or also trying to fight for their survival in League One. You said after the Ipswich win that beating them shouldn't be seen as getting a scalp. So what is the view on this weekend's game against Swindon? I think, you know, for too long we've talked about um, great escapes and taking bigger club scouts. You know, we, we've got to start being Wimbledon. And, you know, that was what we prided ourselves with in the academy. Obviously, you show people respect, but we believe we go anywhere in the country and, and beat anyone because, you know, you, that that that's the Wimbledon mentality. So, you know, it's for us. It's another game of football that we've got to win, and and our big belief is it's always going to be eighty percent of what we do, twenty percent the opposition. That's how respect comes to them, but it's got to be about what we do. So you know, the way I look at it is every game is going to be massive. You know, because we we've got to start looking up as a football club and stop celebrating survival. You know, then that, and that's the problem. Wimbledon never celebrated survival. That's not what this football club's about. So it's we've got to start continuously looking upwards. That was Mark Robinson, Wimbledon's head coach. Up next for them, it's Swindon Town. Next for us, it's the weekend preview. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time from Muddy Knees Media and The Athletic. Time now for our weekend previews in association with Paddy Power. And it's all a bit different this weekend. Uh, Prince Philip's funeral uh, its taking place on Saturday afternoon. And as a mark of respect, there'll be no games kicking off at three o'clock on Saturday. So we've got a lot of Friday night action, some early action on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and even Saturday evening, Ali. And before we get into the games themselves, I'm going to ask you, what is your favourite weekend kickoff? And I'll quickly tell you mine because then you can go into your first championship game. I'm a big fan of a midday on Sunday because if you're playing at midday on Sunday, then you know it is a massive game. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. That's that's come out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, in terms of non 3 p.m. on a Saturday games, I think I'm going to leave that aside because that that is my favourite. That's what I work towards on a Saturday. But because of that, I I actually don't like a 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday, really. I I go pretty hard for a Friday 7.45, as you know. I think that's probably my favourite non-Saturday 3pm slot. I tend to use up a lot of energy on Friday night. And there's something about Friday night, under the lights, in normal times, you know, an expectant crowd, Daniel Mann on commentary, paired with either Don Goodman or Andy Hinchcliffe, and I just and a expect... couple of lads coming on after after the game as well. Maybe, maybe not some extra analysis <laughs> from ten fifteen to ten thirty. I can take it or leave it, to be honest. <laughs> but the game itself, generally, you know, is going to have some twists and turns. Uh, that's that's my preferred slot, put it that way. But it does mean that I tend to wake up sort of heavy headed after a, a Friday seven forty five. Skybet Championship hangover and 12.30 can be a bit early for me especially if I'm heading into work on the on the highlights show if anything it can be a bit of a nuisance that 12.30 game so I'm a big Friday night guy if not Saturday 3pm but one game that will kick off at the unusual time of Saturday 8pm is Norwich against Bournemouth it is a huge game which is probably why it's got that time slot and that's what we're going to preview now because well Norwich City could be promoted to the Premier League at the first time of asking uh, this weekend if one of the following happens either if Brentford fail to beat Millwall at 12:30 but if bees do beat Millwall Norwich can still be promoted if they beat Bournemouth at 8 p.m. and I I like to think there's basically no one including Norwich fans, players, staff, that wouldn't want them to do it on the pitch. You might say, well, we'd rather just get promoted at the earliest possible opportunity and make sure we don't have to do our jobs. But I just think there's something a bit more special about doing it on your own terms, on the pitch. And I I suppose in previewing this game, it's bigger picture stuff about Norwich, isn't it? They've been by so far and away the best and most consistent team in the league this season very few blips and just constant domination really but there is quite a lot you can say about a team that's on course for 100 points I think we focus a lot on the front well not the front three but the three attacking stars of Pukki, Buendia and Campwell but I think under the radar potentially Tim Krul has been the best goalkeeper in the championship this season very few high profile errors and on the odd occasion that that, Nor- that Norwich's defence has been breached he has I think he's got the highest save percentage in the league this season. That doesn't take into account the quality of shots that a goalkeeper faces, but clearly you'd rather be at the top of that particular metric uh, than anywhere else. The the back four, I think, have defended their box with a little more sturdiness than two years ago. Uh, Grant Hanley and, and Ben Gibson, a brilliant partnership. They've only played 25 games together in the league and they've got a 17 win, six draw, two defeat record, 57 points in 25 games. So they've been crucial. Fullbacks in Yanulis and Aarons that play like wingers in attack but still find the time to help out on the defensive end, a defence that's only conceded at a rate of two goals every three games, which is much improved on two years ago. Uh, balance to the midfield provided, I think, crucially by Ollie Skip, who's just been sensational this year, but also a kind of rotating cast of Rupp, McLean and Vrancic. And then that trio of, of, of stars, Campwell, Buendia and Pukki, you just cannot keep them quiet over 90 minutes, or rather championship defences cannot keep them quiet over 90 minutes. They mix intensity out of possession with quality and composure in it. All that adds up, George, to a brilliant, brilliant team. And... 
yeah, I don't want to big it up too much because obviously if they don't go up this weekend, they will likely go up on Tuesday. But I like the fact there's they basically couldn't have picked a harder fixture, right, George? Like mm. it, it's it's cool to me that if Brentford beat <clears throat> Millwall, it's not going to be a procession, I don't think, for Norwich. If if they're going to win promotion on Saturday night, they're going to have to beat a very good team. A very good team. A team who are flying at the moment. Bournemouth have won four games in a row. They've scored 11 goals. And I, th- I think you are right. I think for Norwich, this is frustrating. They're coming up against a side who are playing so well with such good players. But I think it's also a bit of a nightmare for Jonathan Woodgate and Bournemouth that they have to go to Norwich at this time when they're probably three points, maybe six points away from securing a, a playoff berth. You know, Reading are the side behind them. They've got a five point gap over them with five games to go and Reading don't really look like a side at the moment who are going to rack up a lot of points in those five games so you don't think Bournemouth are too far away but a defeat here and a win for Reading over the weekend could make that gap smaller again and be difficult and I I know Ali you and I know each other very well we speak about Mm. football quite a lot on and off air and I have to apologize to you for what I'm going to say because you hate this but it is all about momentum at this stage of the season for Bournemouth. And I, I know you're not going to like it, but I think when you're at this stage of the season, having played those games, the last thing that you want as a group of players is to come up against a very, very good team who could start to make you doubt how good you are. I'm sure there are plenty of Bournemouth players. You know, you look at the, the settled front four now of um, of Danjuma, of Billing, Brooks and Solanke. Didn't use and the I'm nickname. Pretty sure well, I'm going to get onto that in a second. Phil Bell, um, Volto. Come I'm, on. I'm going, to, I'm going to get onto that in a second. Uh, I think if you ask those players now if you know how good a team they are, they probably would back themselves to be as good as Norwich. So if they come out un- unstuck here, because they would, because you look at the calibre. I just of like their... the idea that asking a set of players how good they think they are is the, is a good measure for how good a team is. <laughs> because surely no, no, every no, set of players all... think they're very good. Definitely not. I, I think if you were to ask other teams in the top six, whether it's Barnsley, whether it's Swansea, if in their current state they're the best team in the division, I, they, they, I don't think they would say yes because they're quite clearly not. Whereas with Bournemouth, I think because of the previous calibre um, of, of players who probably think they're playing below themselves anyway, and because of the way they're winning games, I think they're going into this thinking this is our opportunity to show how good we are. If they come unstuck, then you know the the good no, um, no more the good feeling. Well, yeah, the good feeling and the belief that they've built up in this run of games is dissipated and suddenly they're looking over their shoulder with four games to go and a two-point gap. It's a very, very different table. Uh, I think Ben Pearson has been a really important addition to the midfield. I think his performances, you know, we know that he's somebody who's got both incredible uh, tenacity and also some quality on the ball. And that's enabled them to uh, control games in a way that they weren't doing so before. It's just a very shrewd championship pickup. And, and you mentioned Billing, whose form has been... I think probably the, the the best part of, of Jonathan Woodgate's uh, performances so far as as manager in terms of just changing the way that Billing, somebody who is so who, who we know is an exciting footballer, who we've seen put in performances at this level before that dominate, just to turn him into somebody who can really win games on his own. And, and you mentioned his goal scoring ability. You, you kind of alluded to two different um, popular culture references with Billing. I think you only meant one, but there are two di- very different mm, sides to what you spoke on. about. Not giving me credit for, okay, interesting. For what? For what? For what was it? What's the second one? Well, Kill Bill, and right? yeah, and the other one, mate, yeah. is License to Thrill. No, you you were talking about a Danish ghost, Ali, and as we all know, <laughs> the ghost in Hamlet was a sign of future danger. And anybody who's seen Kill Bill will also know that basically everybody dies. So Bournemouth will be hoping that the kit that's more Kill Bill than any danger um, prophesizing de- uh, Danish ghosting into the box <laughs> going into this one against Norwich. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I realised that we could also call him the invoice because he always arrives late and scores. <laughs> anyway, that's another word for billing. Is an invoice there, George, if you didn't get that one. Yeah, um, it, was, it was good. I, don't, I just it feels like you need me to talk you through all my references because you don't believe. Well, I think I think we established ones. that you didn't try. You didn't mean your Shakespearean nod. Yeah, I think look, Shakespeare's work is the f- basis for most of the English language right now. So for most maybe of your inspiration, indirectly, you know, over the over decades, over centuries of my descendants, I think Shakespeare's work has basically culminated in, in this in this EFL mm. podcast. 
Right, Ali, we digress. Let's get back to the football and the prices with Paddy Power for this game on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Norwich are the odds-on favourites at 10 to 11, the draw 5 to 2, and Bournemouth are 14 to 5. So Norwich still expected to win this one, a big game at the top of the table in the Championship. Now, we might have decided that, that Norwich are definitely going to be in the Premier League next season, but there are two more promotion slots up for grabs and fascinating promotion race, really. Nick Miller of The Athletic has written a piece about this, assessing the chances of those in with a shout. If you've not got yourself a subscription of The Athletic, the good news is if you head to theathletic.com forward slash league show, you'll get a special offer of £3.99 for the first six months of your annual subscription. League One game of the weekend, Blackpool against Sunderland, two teams fighting for promotion in League One. We've got a Sunderland side in third on 71 points, five points behind Posh after that defeat to Wigan in midweek. And Blackpool, who are on 65 points in fifth after 39 games, having played a game less than Sunderland and Posh. So just couldn't be a better fixture, really. And the nice wrinkle to this, George, as well, is that because of, I suppose, an, uh, a COVID outbreak for one of the clubs early in the season. They never played their first fixture, so they've got to play each other twice in the next 10 days. And we almost, and I'm not saying both of these sides will be in the playoffs come the end of the season, but I would say that is the current most probable scenario. And it's almost like a little playoff preview before the playoffs even happen. And that's what I like to see at this stage of the season. Uh, I'm going to take the Tangerines. They're unbeaten in 15 games, but... Although that sounds amazing, I think there'll be some frustration about the last week, really, from the point of being 2-0 up last Saturday after an hour against Lincoln and completely dominant. They've dropped points, first giving away that lead, kind of out of nowhere, really, in the last half hour of the game, and then a 0-0 draw with Accrington in midweek. So a disappointing few days in some ways, but I don't think they'll be overreacting. Blackpool still in great form and playing very, very well. Probably, well, it's one of those ones where... I'll, I'll, I'll ask you whether it's fair to say they should have won the game based on what I'm about to say, George. The game against Accrington, nil or draw. Kai Kai had a huge chance in the first half and in the second half and Luke Garbutt hit the post. But Chris Maxwell, or cousin Chris, as me and the family know him, he had, <laughs> he had to save a late penalty to keep the score at nil-nil to keep the unbeaten run alive. So if, if you've had the better chances on the balance of play, but you've had to save a penalty to actually save the point... Do you deserve, you know, are you, are, you, are you good for the win? Is that, do you deserve the win there? I don't think you're good for the win. I think you can feel aggrieved that you weren't ahead, mm. in which case the penalty wouldn't have happened. But you can also thank your goalkeeper for making sure that it wasn't three points dropped um, rather than two. So yeah. there, are no, there are no rules to narrative, Ali. Okay. You say that Shakespeare is your inspiration. You should know this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, agility uh, and wordplay have been a big part of, of me and my and the Maxwell family for generations, as we know. <laughs> so Chris Maxwell, uh, reflexes, agility, keeping the unbeaten run alive. 15 games now for Blackpool. And you just wonder, you know, if you're trying to pick holes in, in the last few results, could there be a bit of fatigue? They've got they've been playing a lot of games to make up for uh, some that they missed early in the season. I mean, maybe. But I think squad wise, Blackpool have of two very good players for every position. They've got players returning from injury. I, I also wonder whether the unbeaten run itself might just play on their minds for the next few games. You know, you, you strive so hard just to keep a, what is quite an arbitrary thing in many ways alive and maybe that could impact them. I guess it's all about jostling for position ahead of the playoffs for me. Even seven wins from seven gets Blackpool to 86 points and I don't see Hull or Posh not reaching that number. So... I think it's a bit of an interesting, bit of an odd situation for Neil Critchley in terms of how best to approach the last seven league games in terms of preparation, rotation, you know, making sure you're all set for the playoffs, basically. He won't be speaking about that at this stage, I know, because they've got these two games against Sunderland in the next 10 days. But yeah, I'm feeling good about Blackpool still. Despite these two draws, I still think they're playing really well. I still rate them up there with Harlan Posh at the moment. And I'm interested to know, George, you've taken a look at Sunderland here. Do they deserve to be mentioned in the same breath of these teams at the moment based on their performances recently? Well, they definitely did. You know, they won 9 and 11 fairly recently, but they're winless now in three and they have lost their last two games, both 2-1 to Charlton and Wigan. And Sunderland fans will be hoping to send their team off to Blackpool and that they come back, they come home with the bacon. But whether that is streaky bacon or back bacon, we're going to find out come three o'clock on Saturday because this is streaky Lee. This is 
the man that we have always said goes through these remarkable runs of form and it's been wholly positive so far at his time in Sunderland but Sunderland fans who knew about this uh, quirk of his managerial tendencies the those who appointed him who will also know about this too will be praying that we're not about to have a period where we're going to look at their soccer base page in a couple of weeks time and just see l l l l l as has often been the case even when he's been successful at clubs and going to blackpool on the back of losing 2-1 to Wigan, um, on the back of two defeats, it's such a difficult game because they are, as you mentioned, coming up against a side who since the end of October have been one of the best, if not the best team in the division so far. The one area that really concerns me with Sunderland at, at the moment is their their defensive ability from set-piece situations. Now, against Charlton, the two goals came from a corner and a long throw. Luke 09 also hit the post from a free kick put in from about 40 yards out, kind of deep, wide, uh, inside their own half. If you, and you're looking to the Wigan game as well, both goals coming from corners, albeit you know from knockdowns from corners as well. There seems to be an issue there, uh, and it's almost ironic given how most of Sunderland's goals they've scored in the last three months under Lee Johnson have been headed goals themselves. You have to wonder whether this part of this is because in Luke 09, they have one of their centre-backs is a guy who, you know, probably would have said himself a year ago that his best position was as a number 10, who's mainly been employed as a right midfielder or a right back since he's been at Sunderland and is now playing centre-back. Whether it's because in Dion Sanderson, they've got a, a centre-back who has also played much of his career at full-back. And mm. even though he's a player I really rate, hasn't played that much first-team football. Whatever it is, they seem to be a side who are fairly naive at the moment, whether it's defending set, set plays themselves or just getting the ball clear, really. And that's something that they have to sort out. And the other you know, wrinkle to this is that we've spoken a lot about how whichever team misses out out of these three sides, Hull, Peterborough and Sunderland, are likely to finish third and they're going to have a difficult time in the playoffs. That maybe isn't the case now. You know, you look at Sunderland here, if they lose this game, then Blackpool would be just three points behind them with a game in hand as well. So Sunderland have to, you know, if they want to be playing against the the sixth place team in League One, which I would say looks pretty important at the moment because I think we can be sure that the first three places in the playoffs are going to be going to be made up of the three class teams in it Sunderland Blackpool and Portsmouth whoever finishes third is going to come up against one of Charlton Ipswich Oxford Lincoln one of these sides who you could pick holes in pretty easily compared to the others so I think the race for third is going to be very important um, and this is a big game in that Sunderland will still anticipate that if they can win their remaining games they can break into the uh, into the top three and as I say, they'll be hoping to see their old Sunderland back rather than the return of Streaky Lee. Just as long as they don't get smoked. I think that's what the fans will will be hoping. <laughs> the odds are interesting here with Paddy Power. Blackpool, the home side, 17 to 10. Sunderland, the away side, 17 to 10. And the draw, 2 to 1. That is about as tantalising as a fixture gets uh, with basically everything level when Paddy Power can't pick them. I think it's hard for us to do so, to be honest with you. Uh, in League Two, George, what a huge game this is that we've chosen between Newport and Cambridge. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. <laughs> they have their exits and their entrances. What role will Newport play in the denouement of the League Two season? Lovely the Google. They're, they're in sixth at the moment, George. They've got a two-point cushion to those chasing them. Uh, outside the playoff places and an eight points gap to automatic promotion in third. And clearly there have been real peaks and troughs, various different acts in Newport's season. It's hard to get away from the fact that they won their first 11 of 16 in the league. They flew to the top of the table, but uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. And it certainly was a, a winter of discontent, you have to say. Six wins in their next 24 after that hot start. And I think they learned the hard way, live by the low knees, die by the low knees. Scott Twine, who left basically in the first week of January, is still their joint top goalscorer and their top assister, despite that early departure, only playing well less than half the season. But not only did Twine leave, it was a big case of et tu, Brute, for Mike Flynn as well, when Brandon Cooper, the young centre-back from Swansea, who was playing like a seasoned pro, he was also recalled when Swans had an injury crisis. So that's been something difficult. They've had to sort of reinvent themselves to an extent. The attacking fluidity has certainly deserted them since then. But it's still a good first team for Newport on paper. 
you know, experienced players like Dolan, Labadie, Sheehan with the quality in midfield, Liam Shepard, the right wing back, and seasoned strikers for the level in Ryan Taylor and Nicky Maynard. They're just struggling to click going forward. They're okay defensively, but every game is just on the margins, at the absolute limits. And in the last six in the league, they've only scored four. They've only conceded five, so very low scoring games, only five points in that time. So more often than not, they've been falling on the wrong side of the margins, the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. Um, and that means I do feel, and don't like saying it because I like Newport, I like Mike Flynn, I do feel they're quite vulnerable to being chased down by an Exeter or a Carlisle, maybe those teams just a couple of points back. But plenty to prove this weekend against a, a Cambridge side, George, who also need to prove something. You know, some, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. What will it be for Cambridge? They've got plenty to prove after last week's result against Exeter. Yeah, a, a, a terrible result for them, uh, beating, being beaten 4-1 by an Exeter side who, as you mentioned, are chasing down the playoffs. And it's not really ideal for Cambridge, given that a win in that game would have all but secured them promotion. But again, they're another side who are now sitting pretty cosily. I think they've got a five-point gap to fourth place. But it doesn't take long after a couple of defeats for that to change. And, you know, you mentioned Newport falling out of the um, of the places, sorry, possibly falling out of the playoffs. If they were to win this game, you know, they would put themselves within, within shooting distance of a Cambridge side who are currently well clear of them um, because they've got that game in hand as well. So it's a big one for Cambridge to react to. Um, the Exeter game was just a really, really bad day at the office. I think, you know, we talk about the two key players for Cambridge in Wes Houlihan, who dictates pretty much everything you know he more than dictates the tempo he dictates everything um that uh the Cambridge do on the pitch and is able to control games and create and score goals in a way that we haven't really seen many players do at this level and then uh Paul Mullen the the, the goal scorer the record goal scorer well, the top goal scorer in the league so far this season both of them had real off days you know Mullen missed a few chances Hulan couldn't really get in the game um Hiram Boteng was the star player for Cambridge and he's a player that I just want to kind of touch upon as maybe being the, the forgotten hero for this Cambridge side. He's on loan from MK Dons. Uh, he came into the club and has had injury issues this season. So he was in and out of the team early on. But since he's been fit and firing over the last six weeks, he's been every bit as important as those two. Such a rare thing to have in League Two is a player who is both physically very, very capable of doing the out-of-possession work, breakdown play, but also has the quality on the ball as well. And his link play with Houlihan has been really impressive. And, and he did an interview. I mean, Cambridge fans are desperate for him to stay next season. He's got another year in his contract at MK, but they asked him about his time at the club so far. And it's interesting to note that he talks about the, you know, the belief that Mark Bonner has instilled in the players? Yeah, the club's been brilliant with me, honestly. As a player, you go through so many stages in your career, but there's nothing that beats when a manager, a club, players all have belief in you to do well, you know? And I think we've we've shown that, myself and, and other players included, shown that on the pitch that we kind of repay the belief that the staff and managers put in us. Um, and... To be honest, I've I've really been enjoying my football. You know, uh, it's definitely a place I've 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 um, been comfortable in, and I said in previous interviews I was able to settle in uh, so easily. You know, into the into the squad, which is testament to them. So Boateng there, just talking about the job that Bon has done, and I think that can often get lost here. I think because of the incredible start to the season they had, we forget that Bonner is a guy who'd never managed a football team before, who was a youth coach at Cambridge and his first full season in management looks set to take a Cambridge side back to League One, uh, a side who last season were fighting off relegation. Uh, I think we have to remember that he has done one of the best jobs in the EFL. And when we're talking about managers uh, and, and where they may go, he's got to be one of the most exciting prospects we have. I think there might be a level of snobbery because he isn't a player, that a man that we remember from a playing career previously. And I'm really excited to see how he gets on next season. But whether that's in League One or League Two, I still think this game against Newport is a must not lose. You know, they have to maintain that that gap between them and fourth in order to ensure they go up next season. 
Newport are the favourites with Paddy Power. Five to four favourites, pretty strong given the, the league positions and I guess to some extent the form of these two sides. Cambridge at nine to four, the away side, uh, and the draw two to one. It is just one of many exciting fixtures ahead of the EFL weekend. We could have picked so many others to preview, but we hope that that has sated your appetite for preview content. A huge weekend in the EFL this weekend. Matt and co will be back on Monday to recap it all on the Totally Football League show and we'll be back on Thursday. But for now, it's time for us to exit Pursued by a Bear. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.